0: Awesome stuff! And joining us now, Joel Holkstra. How you doing, my friend?
1: Great. How are you guys? Good.
0: Good. We are fantastic. Good to have you on. Thanks for coming on tonight.
1: Appreciate Yeah, it. likewise. Thanks for having me on.
2: Sure. Well, Joel, you're a busy guy, man. When you're not in any of your 15 bands, you've um, <laughs> you're you're now building Joel Holkstra's 13. You have what? This is the third record with Crash of Life out on June the 13th. Great stuff. Um, let's start there, man. Tell us a little bit about this one. Comes pretty fast off the last one, as well as right at the same time as Revolution Saints. So, kind of talk about where you're at, you know, musically and creatively.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's this is something that I started, I guess, back in 2015. I think as I was. You know getting more well known for being in the hard rock bands etc you know my time with night ranger rock of ages trans-siberian orchestra which you know of course still with white snake still with but um you know i my solo albums were kind of done back when i was doing instrumental stuff a little more like two kind of almost uh i guess jazz like rock fusion you know sure. and, and an acoustic record all instrumental so I had a lot of people saying, "How come you don't have any solo music out? That's like a, you know rock stuff. And so I thought, well, I'd like to do that, but I don't really want to do the style where like you know the guitar player's taken like you know, two minute solos in every song or sure. doing like the instrumental thing anymore um, or progressive even where it really didn't sound all that appealing to me. So um, I just kind of came up with this concept of trying to create like songs where I do all the writing. So I write all the riffs and then I write the lyrics and the vocal melodies, but try to come from a place of like just, you know, songs. And what got me into this whole scene in the first place when I was a kid, you know, what made me like that era of rock and roll. So, and obviously this stuff is kind of, no matter what, spun like 2023. It's not exactly, it doesn't exactly sound like an 80s record if you listen to it, but right. I'm certainly inspired by that, that era of music.
2: No doubt. Well, let, let's talk about this record. and something that you just said, which I think is fascinating coming from you, which is that you write everything for Joel Holkstra's 13. Is that, is it a difficult adjustment or how do you adjust between that with this band and other projects and bands that you've been in? You know, obviously white snake, that's a David Coverdale. You know, I know you write with him, but everything goes through him as far as the creative process. And then revolution saints, which again, you collaborate, I, I believe on, but it's not only you. Is there, is there like a switch that has to turn on or off when you switch between projects?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's cool. I'm not opposed to doing the collaborative thing. I think it's great. Um, I think it's intriguing to, figure out, you know, what kind of results you get from different approaches. Um, So everyone has a different level that I, I, you know, move with. Like you said, you know, Coverdale, you know, for the most part, he's going to have an idea of a song and Mm -hmm. maybe say, where would you take it from there? And you can contribute like guitar riffs, ideas where to go you can't contribute like vocals or anything like that because he'll that's his territory right mm-hmm. rightfully so no no issues with that that's you know that's david coverdale um and it was kind of the same you know with night ranger like you know it was sure. like be able to like put some guitar riffs in and things like that or come up with some kind of bed for them to like write lyrics or sing on um but it wasn't going to be my gig to be like writing the lyrics and the melodies etc um so similar with iconic um my project with michael sweet and tommy aldridge and marco mendoza and nathan james so that um you know what i do for that is i do the guitar riffs unarranged michael sweet arranges them they go to alessandro and then nathan and they write the lyrics and the vocal melodies so you know all these things i'm cool with but like every once in a while you want to be the guy that just is like hey man i'm going to do all of it <laughs> right and and i get the the final say so in the mix and you know the production elements and, and the guy to like okay the artwork etc and you have some input on all that so it's a lot more work i'll tell you that like you know when you, when you do this i literally like sing the entire record as a guide vocal for the lead vocalist to listen right. to and go from um uh, very long answer to your question, but no, I mean, right. I, well, bottom line is I'm cool with all of it. Like, you know, if 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 it's a it's whatever framework it's in, like, let's see what we get, and that's cool because, you know, I don't know if necessarily I want every project to be, like, something that I'm doing all of. Um, sure. It can be cool to be just, like, a piece of the puzzle, too. Um, but these, you know, the Joel Hooks are 13 things that, you know, the albums, you are uh, very much my babies. All
0: right, so first I got to tell you that my sister-in-law is watching, listening, whatever, and she's a super huge fan, so she keeps sending me texts and stuff on my phone of just hearts, and I'm like, (laughs) I'm doing the show. You gotta stop (laughs) sending texts of just hearts. So She apparently is a big fan. Um, What was it about the 80s music that made it so different from um, the the sounds that have come since then? And rock music, to me, isn't the same as it was back then, and I like the fact that they're bands out there still trying to keep that sound alive. What made that kind of sound so special, different?
1: Um, You know, I'm not necessarily like... Um, 100% 80s guy. I kind of yeah. like, I am a, I would say more of a classic rock guy because I've fallen so far out of touch with like, you know, when people ask me about new bands. I'm like, dude, I have no idea. Like, it sucks. Yeah. I, I work on music all the time, so I fall behind because my career got so busy that it's like, well, I worked on music like six, seven hours today. Do I want to like sit back and listen to new bands? <laughs> right. want to like get away from music basically. So, um, I mean, ACDC is what got me in. That's what pulled me in, back in black, you know, hearing that and seeing Angus Young and being like, that's the coolest dude I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, that was great hard rock. And I really loved, I would say, the, you know, 70s stuff where the bands were kind of prolific together. The 80s, I loved how all the guitar players were prolific, you know. Like, sure. you had this whole this whole movement where all the guitar players really um, were Technically, you know, amazing. Really, I mean, it was like expected that you were going to be a a great lead player in the '80s, so that was fun. You know, having that um, become the norm, and I even like some of the '90s stuff. You know, like I I definitely like Alice in Chains, and I like Soundgarden, and and I like Stone Temple Pilots. I think there's a lot of good songs there. Some of it wasn't for me, um, and. I didn't really understand the whole, I don't want to be a rock star, but I'm going to keep putting out albums mentality. It was okay. like, well, you can not be a rock star in a hurry. You could just stop recording or putting <laughs> out your music publicly. That um, So that didn't necessarily make sense to me. But, um, you know, when it, when it comes to the 80s, that just happened to be that magic era where I was starting guitar, you know. And there was a lot of inspiration uh, guitar-wise in that that generation and and I think what appealed to me too as a kid was because like you know the guitar being good on guitar was cool in the 80s it was cool to like accept other styles like you you know you could put on Aldi Miola back then and have people not be like what are you listening to this for you know right 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 um whereas I don't know if this generation they've Think the same, you know. Like I loved guitar heroes like Steve Morse, who was putting out. You know, you could listen to one of his records, and there would be a country track on there, you know. Right. And just you know, all these different styles represented. Um, or you listen to you know these guys who were taking it out there. You know, Steve Vai kind of became the Hendrix of the '80s. You know, taking mm-hmm. kind of all the all the wild sounds and all the you know psychedelia and putting it with all the technical capabilities that he was doing and um so you know that that stuff was cool to me too but really the the core of it for me was like all bands you know like i just love the 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 bands right um love the tunes and and so that's what this comes down to for me it's like all right i don't really want to use this as like a guitar showcase i want to use it as like what would i have liked to listen to when i was younger yeah
0: because chris and i argue about this kind of stuff all the time because i turned on the radio the other day and there's like three freaking rock stations, and none of them are playing any good new rock. And I don't know if there's any good new rock out there. And Chris is telling me there is, yeah, but it's tons. still the same
1: old stuff that I love.
0: But, man, rock music today needs a new breath of fresh air.
1: I think that – I mean, certainly online, like as you flip through, the instrument of guitar is um, – it's veering towards sensationalism a lot. Like It's sort of like, you know, how you have the singing contests online, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's not necessarily about, like, it, when you think about who the great singers are, they weren't always great singers because of, like, range or anything sure. fantastic. They just had, like, a cool quality. And it's the same with guitar. It wasn't always the guy who, like, could play a million miles an hour or, like, you know... Um, play technically the greatest, you know, look at David Gilmour, man, you know, he was as slow hand as it gets. And yet definitely a guitar great, you know, you never heard David Gilmour ripping off any fast licks, you know, I mean, it was always just really tasty. Um, so I think, you know, online we're veering towards that. Like you scroll through Instagram and there's all these guys Uh shredding and there's all these guys shredding, but there's never the moment where it just kind of is like, Oh, this is, you know, really, really tasteful music, and like,
2: <laughs> well, and, and you know what it is too, Joel, and and I and I'll point to an exact example of it. There's a guitar player out there named Nick Nocturnal who's huge on YouTube. He's like got you know eight hundred thousand followers or some crazy number, and I know I talked to him one time, and I just asked him, why don't you put together a band to go out there and play? And he's like, why? You know, because today's mentality is, I can put out a song, I can get two million views on it and never, never have to haul my, my guitar and my amps and all that, yeah. you know, it's, it's a different mentality than the mentality we grew up with, with holding an album and looking at it and then wanting to see that face from that record five feet in front of me, you know, it's just a different mm-hmm. mentality.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's fine. Like it's, it's just an observation because it, it's, it's geared towards sensationalism, but like mm-hmm. at the same time, whatever keeps people into music, you know, right. like, I, I, if, if forced to like have American Idol and the voice on television versus another, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians or whatever, let's right. go with American Idol and the voice, <laughs> shall we? Agreed. You know, I think we're all in agreement there. Right. So, I mean, you're, you're still better off having that cause it's still going to make kids want to sing and uh-huh. still like inspire them to, to, um, pursue music. And, and the guitar thing is the same way, you know, it's like, it might be a bit about that, but at least it's personally, it's making people, um, you know, I guess, push themselves on the instrument and, um, you know, it, it's all good at the end of the day, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a rock dinosaur, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I've been doing this a long time now. So I kind of, I grew up, you know, playing in the bars and, and all that sure. and, and you know, paying my dues and, Uh, so it took a long time, in fact, for things to really kind of take off for me and have me do like relatively well, whatever we're going to say I do. Um, so, you know, I I think all that was really good for me to go through all the different musical experiences. I, I I really wouldn't change a thing, man. I'll maybe just wish I was like, you know, financially set for life would be a great feeling right now, but you know, um, uh, beyond that, I, I kind of dig like the whole crazy path that I've had. Right now, you what?
0: grew up. I, I read playing piano and cello. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, my parents were classical musicians, so they had me going really early, and I was really young. And I was like, "Man, I want to be a pitcher!" Like that's what I was doing back then. I used to pitch all day. Every okay, day. And, like I was like the, you know, the, the fastest pitcher in my little league and <laughs> won the World Series a couple times. Right. And I was like, that, "That's what I'm going to do." And then. Uh, suddenly everybody shot up to this height and I was still here and I was like, <laughs> Oh, I'm not cool anymore. Everybody's like hitting my pitching and I got, so, and right about at that same time was the ACDC thing for me, you know, okay. like, you know and then going like, Hey, what about guitar? That could be cool. Like, I I like that guy. And then, um, that really stuck. It just stuck from day one. You know, like I, it, it just took learning rock. Right. Um, so at first I, I had my stepmom's acoustic and I, uh, you know, had a teacher teaching me how to read the notes. And I was like, this isn't what I pictured it being. I, I want to be Angus Young. How do I get to do that when I'm learning, you know, the three notes on the high E string mm. here in the in the book? Right. But um you know, thankfully, a friend of mine steered me towards this teacher that was teaching rock songs. And, okay. so, like, you know, for lesson number one, he showed me Paranoid. And I was like, that's the first rock tune I learned how to play. And I went, nice. like, you know. And my parents were like, well, we're not going to buy you an amp until we're sure you're going to stick with this. You know, right. like, I had to pay my dues for them to buy me an amp, But the luckily, that same teacher said, well, you know what you can do? You take this cable, you plug into the auxiliary input of your home stereo. And I went, <laughs> oh, cool. So home stereo went on that and and nice. right at that point in time, the parents uh, were like, oh, my gosh, what have we gotten ourselves into here? <laughs> you know, the whole neighborhood could hear me probably out of tune playing Paranoid.
0: Did you ever think about doing like a classical kind of album? Somebody was texting and asking.
1: Um, I mean, an acoustic album. Did uh, classical guitar for, I would say, took lessons with that my last couple years of high school and then actually did two years of college where I played more of that than I did rock. Um, but it just wasn't me at the end of the day, you know, like I, the way I look at myself with all this stuff is I've kind of understood, I have the understanding of how to play straight ahead jazz a bit as well. And I, I tinker with all this stuff, but I kind of like being able to pull some of those ideas into the rock world and be like, aha, you know, I got away with doing that in in the rock scene uh, more so than actually pursuing um you know i i think to do something like that you really have to be like committed to that and i just i just wasn't who i am at the end of the day to be like i'm just gonna play classical guitar eight hours a day you know sure
0: definitely you told toward a share i have to know what that was like
1: um you know, that was cool you know coverdale was having his knee replacement surgery done in 2017 so it gave us a heads up and I just sent out a bunch of texts to people being like hey don't really need a new gig but like if anybody needs a sub or somebody to fill in this year let me know because you know I kind of got the year off of touring here and uh, that ended up being a really interesting year just kind of you know building building a lot of random things and then so one of the people I texted was my friend Justin Derrick, who plays guitar with pink and he plays on the voice and yeah. the other guitar player on the voice is Dave Barry shares guitarist and right at that time he happened to be saying to him man, I need to find somebody to fill in for me, you know, while I'm doing the voice here with, with Cher. Right. And so Justin said, I know it's going to sound weird, but what, what about Joel Hoesher from Whitesnake? You know, he's like, he can play different styles and he can understand how to do this, you know? So um. anyway, I, it, that really was supposed to be like a few shows and it ended up being like a few years, really. So it wow. turned into a lot more than I thought it was going to be. And, uh, you know, it was great, great musicians really good time. Um, as far as share, you know, I mean, it's not like we were hanging out going for coffee in the morning or something, (laughs) but you know, she, she had some fun stuff she would do with all of us where she would take us to the movies and stuff like that. Or there was like bingo night and like everybody would like (laughs) hang out. And so, I mean, you know, she was cool. It just be a different, different atmosphere than, um, you know, like say a buddy in your band, you're not going to be like, "Hey, what are you doing right now? You, know, you want right. to hang out?" And right. Maybe you know.
2: Did Did you take the online beating that like Demi Lovato, Demi Lovato, um, Nita Strauss took when she joined Demi Lovato?
1: Um, no, I think it was a, a different situation. I mean, I think that was you know sort of framed at the time. I mean, because she needed to miss some time. That right. She, Quitting, even though I don't think she was really quitting. I think they were just kind of like, okay, she's gonna go do this. Sure. Um, I always prioritize White Snake over Share. So if, okay. there, if there was like a White Snake show or a tour that was, I was there. Right. Um, and I mean that was sort of the understanding when I got hired on Share. I was like, well, look, you know, I have two things: that White Snake and Trans Siberian Orchestra that when those happen right i i tried talking them out of hiring me basically i mean i was like look i don't know <laughs> that i'm really the right guy that you want to have like coming in here as like your full-time guy because i have a couple things that are sure. so anyway there's there's the difference i guess you know mm-hmm. and, and maybe if they had said up front like nita's going to take some time off to do that mm-hmm. it wouldn't, she wouldn't have had that kind of um response from rock yeah. trans, you yeah, know? she
2: did take a beating oh boy <laughs> it's not for well the internet's never friendly
1: though is it <laughs> no. rock fans rock can be brutal sometimes i mean there's definitely some people that like man i lost a lot of especially you know um when you drag the politics into it you know people assume that, like whenever you're playing for somebody that you're uh-huh. necessarily really aligned with every single political view they must have especially these days and, right you know, so um you know that there was a lot of, you know, uh, you know, share tends to be pretty outspoken with that. So there was a lot sure. of people that, <laughs>
3: like,
0: yeah,
1: know, yeah. from you can still rock in America with Night Ranger, you know, and it, to, you know, <laughs> to, to, to share. So you know that, like, you know, it, my whole thing is like it's a gig. Like I right. don't. I'm, like, I, I don't care. I mean, like, the politics are not my thing, man. You know, right? like I just want to play my guitar. Can I just play?
0: Exactly. What about well, TSO? Yeah. How's it going with TSO? What's it like playing that kind of music compared to the White Snake stuff?
1: Um, well, TSO is like, you know, it's Trans Siberian Orchestra, right? Mm-hmm. So there's number one there's a lot more people. Uh, it's something that. I would say there's just because of the history that being sabotage and to maximize the amount of shows, it's essentially sabotage split two ways, and then they fill in the band with people. You know, somebody like myself being one of those people. Um, it's so you just find the you know you you just know your place in every gig you do, like what the situation is. You know, I mean it. It's important to me, like with White Snake that. Um, you know, for obviously it's David Coverdale's band, you know, but like, you know, David does put us on the shirts and he puts us in the tour programs. And sure. we to write with. I got to write with him on the, the last record. And, right. um, you know, you, you definitely feel like, hey, band, you know. So, and David's really great about championing his players and, you know, promoting online. And um, that's uh, just something that's been great about that, especially because, you know, for me – Leading into White Snake, there had been a lot of U.S. stuff for me. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was playing Rock of Ages in New York City, eight shows a week. I was touring with Trans Siberian Orchestra in the U.S. and I right. was like um, Night Ranger. We, we we would go to Japan and maybe like an occasional like one off in the U.K. or something, but pretty much a U.S. band. You know, Night Ranger does a lot of uh, U.S. dates. And so for me, it was really cool joining White Snake because it was like, hey, people in South America care, people all across Europe care, people in the UK really care about White Snake. You know, there right. was, was such a long history there before um, the band broke, and you know, so being able to go to Australia and South America and and you know. Um, different territories than I've ever been able to get to. And how people actually care, like, who I was was right. amazing to me. You know? like, <laughs> nice. are, are
0: those overseas shows kind of cool, or is there a bigger response audience size-wise than here in the States? Because, I mean, I, it seems like rock in general does a lot better, now anyways, when you see the concerts overseas.
1: I'd say definitely in the U.K. I mean, it, I think it depends on what area Whitesnake plays in, but, like – you know the uk we were we headlined arenas going through there on the right. this farewell tour i mean i don't know that in the u.s we would necessarily be able to headline arenas you know okay. um, we might uh, we were slated to open for the scorpions um it, you know in sheds and, right uh and some arenas i think but um i th- i think you could safely say that white is more popular in the uk than in the u.s i did th- that's just by nature because there was you know so many records were big there before right. white snake even became popular in the u.s
0: right definitely being on tour a lot like you know like you are um i know here in cleveland like a lot of the small clubs and venues that used to have all these rock bands come in all the time um is that the same way across the country? Are a lot of these small clubs and little venues closing up? Or I mean, that's the way rock music was meant to be. And, and now it seems like a lot of those places aren't around anymore.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I know, like, you know, heading out and doing some of the, the – I guess smaller stuff that I do are the acoustic duo shows of my friend Brandon Gibbs. And we're still able to find a little network of things that we can go do out there and be able to play. And um, I personally like that because those are the shows where like the actual fans show up, like the people that actually care who you are. Um, you know you take the bigger gigs and there's going to be a significant portion of that audience that's the casual fan that might not even know like my name by the end of the gig or you know walk out and go yeah the, the, you know the blonde haired guy or whatever, you <laughs> know, like that. so when you when you're playing those smaller gigs and it's advertised under your name that's who you really start seeing who the diehard fans are, who are really following everything you're doing and and come out so those can be really cool to play um because you it gives you an opportunity to connect with your really diehard fan base So, um, so i i think there's still opportunities out there um I suppose it's like anything else in life. You could look at like every obstacle or you could look at the stuff that's there, you know? Right. There's no question. It's not what it used to be, but it hasn't been what it used to be since I even got old enough to be gigging with bands. I mean, in the Chicago area where I grew up, the drinking age was 18 prior to my, just prior to my days. You know what I mean? If you go back to the seventies, so you take like a lot of those bands, like when sticks was a local band, you know, Mm -hmm. banging around there, those guys were, you know, they're playing both nights on the weekend and, you know, making Mad Bank and we're for, for <laughs> kids in high school, that is. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and living it up. For my generation, we kind of would play like the all ages show maybe once a month, maybe twice a month. Right. Um, but, you know, we still had some great, great talent in the scene, you know, in, in my little local area there and the, the suburbs of Chicago, you know, disturbed came out of there. Right. And, I used, you know used to be in the same local scene with Dan Donegan, their guitarist and you know, it's fun for me to see him succeed and do well and, and um, see those guys do well. Danny was always a great guy. He was a great guy even when we were just little kids you know when we were, I've known him since I was probably 14 or something like that. He was always a great guy
2: right on. Well, dude, let's pull it back to your record, because we do got to promote the record, Joel Hoekstra's 13, Crash of Life, on June the 13th. It will be out. Everybody should buy it, not just stream it, but actually buy it. That's like a rule. You have to buy music if it's available to buy.
1: But is it, not, me, is it not June 16? Is it June 16? I think still good. Okay, all right. I either I've been saying it wrong all day, and you're right. I'm glad you're up here because uh, I I, I, could,
2: I could very well be wrong. I, I, I took it from June the 16. press release, but
1: I think it's June 16, bro. I'm pretty sure. All right, uh, the, the
2: second week of June. Go buy it. How's that? In fact, <laughs> go buy it now. Right? Can you pre-order it?
1: Yeah, yeah, you can pre-order right now. So yeah. don't
2: even wait for the date. Buy it today. Right. As soon as this interview ends.
1: Yeah, you can just yes. get it and just be yours <laughs> when, it, when it
2: absolutely. Is. Well, dude, let's dig into a couple of the tunes, man, because there there's a couple songs that I I really really dug. My favorite being "Damaged Goods," which is your guitar playing on that alone. You know, you don't do yourself justice talking about yourself as a player. This one song has you playing like three or four different styles of guitar, all mixed, mixed and matched, but it works. Talk a little bit about this one, man, because I got to imagine of all of the songs on this, this had to be your showcase song.
1: Um, this was just a, you know, like a, I, I suppose, like a, you know, a cool little hook with the vocal and the guitar kind of doubling it because man. the opening riff was really busy. So when you when you write a really busy riff on guitar, you go, it's almost kind of Iron Maidenish or something, right? You know, and then you think, okay, so what's the hook over the top? Because that might be a cool riff, but it's not like something some people can sing. I always like having like a section have something that can be something that people can have stuck in their head. Um, right. So that required me writing that little melodic hook over the top. Right. Um, and then the, uh, I would say the verse is kind of like that core sound of the Joel Hoschus 13 thing that like Dio-ish kind of sound. Right. You know, I the apathy on drums in this and uh, Tony Franklin on bass, who yeah. you know he he fits right into that style, that sound um, so well, um, and so that's always kind of been the core, you know. And and, sure. and might have a different tone than Dio, but he likes he sl- sings gritty, and so I say that it's kind of based on that. And uh, you know the chorus, I mean, almost like might might even be like a little bit of like a Pantera-ish kind of riff Mm -hmm. in a way, maybe not as aggressive a tone as, as Dimebag, but you know, um, but like where that riff is derived from or influenced by. So, um,
2: well, you know, you you took some Iron Maiden, you put some Pantera in. I can't imagine how any metalhead could think that's bad. I mean, it's yeah, so no, good.
1: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Damage Goods just fits in like slightly below the heaviest tracks. I, I feel sure. like the heaviest tracks are probably like far too deep, and everybody knows everything. And mm-hmm. you know, Damage Goods fits right in sure. there. So there's like this heavier end of the spectrum and then you know you've got um a couple ballads you know mellower tunes and then somewhere in between you got stuff that kind of falls in the zeppelin acdc kind of influence category you know like uh uh, don't have words is very acdc influenced and
3: Sure.
1: Um, uh, you're right. For me, it's very Zeppelin-y. It's like uh, I wrote that on, you know, an open tuning on acoustic like Jimmy Page. Right. It you know, would, would be in the open tunings. And, and then I ended up just throwing a Sans app on there to distort it a little bit. And okay. kind of it out and then add some power chords around it and tough it out a bit, you know?
2: Sure. And then the other one, you know, since we're, since we're just throwing names out there, Not Tonight feels very White Snake like Almost like that could have been something you wrote for white snake and didn't make it but it's got a very still of the nightish that you know at the beginning part like
1: yeah so for me that feels like zeppelin okay the, you know which is white snakey you yeah. know a definite correlation between Zeppelin and white snake and then uh the chorus I would say for me is like you know Dockin-ish or something okay uh, yeah you know, like I could hear Don Dawkins singing that melody in the chorus sure. very easily. So, you know, and that's all kind of stuff I grew up on as well. I, that's my first band that I was ever in. We, we covered a lot of them. That was the band that we sounded good covering. Our singer sounded a little like him. And I, you know, was, could cover George's stuff a little bit at that age. And so. Sure.
2: Very good, man. Well, dude, you mentioned Gearish. Uh, Gearish Pratt. Prad, is it Prattin? I don't know how to say his last name.
1: Man, no, I you, don't. You that. either? uh, The funniest story was I sent, so they wanted us to do an announcement about this and and kind of release it staggered. And so I I sent a voice memo to to one of the guys at the label and said, so Girish Pradhan, right? Is that how I pronounce his name? Because I don't want to say it incorrectly on this. And they said, yeah, no, you got it. That's it, dude. So I so I made this, this video. And then it, when it came time for him to make his, you know, he said it with an accent. That I was like, oh, forget it. <laughs> baseball, man. I was like, it sounded nothing like the way I said it. So I went, okay, I guess we're just, you know, look, my name is supposed to be, if you do the Dutch pronunciation, have like a hook, hook. Hookstra, you know, like a hook, but right. nobody would ever get that out of H O E K. So I, I just say hoaxtra because right. I have mercy on you know the. <laughs> on <cute>. us, <laughs> on <laughs> us, yeah. I mean, my name is hard enough to to say or spell anyway. So I mean, I'm right. like, look, well, I got enough problems on my hands, much less hoping they're going to get the Dutch thing.
2: Going. <laughs> right on, man. Well, dude, I did want to talk about Gearish, who, you know. I, for me personally, the best album of 2022 was his, was the was the Gears in the Chronicles record. So good. So, for anybody likes 80s style, it's so out of the Skid Row-ish sort of book, you know, that, that anybody that like that will love that. How did, he, how did you end up working with him? And specifically, how do you end up working with anybody and not just elevating your guy, J.S.S., up to being the singer in
1: your band? Um well I mean Jeff sang half the lead vocals on the first record. Yeah. And so it was Russell Allen and then Jeff sang I mean, sang half of the lead vocals and that was like kind of the only bag on that album was people were like, I don't get the two lead singers. It's like, well it's a project, man. I can do whatever you right. want, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Leave me alone. And uh it's Jeff's got soto, damn it. Um, and then the second one, I decided, well, let's just have Russell sing it. And, and I was – and Jeff and I are just – you know, we're good friends. And that. so he does these as mainly a favor to me, you know, like singing background on the, the second one. And then um, with this one, uh, with Gearish Sing Thing, I think it comes down to more the fact that Jeff already fronts a lot of stuff. And like, right. You know, yeah, Jeff could sing it and front it, sure, easily, you know. Um, but, you know, at the same time, like, he he – He's got a lot of stuff that he already does. Yeah, I yeah, know. I
2: get a press release every month with his next release. It's crazy what? with that guy.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, for me, it was kind of a, an opportunity to, uh, you know, start out with Girish, who, you know, was um, kind of, I, I guess, you know, got that young and hungry eye of the tiger thing going on. Sure. Right you know, I think he's looking to make a name for himself and, um as you said, like you know, I watched uh, the Gears and the Chronicles stuff. When the label said, "What about what about this guy?" and and they sent me um, some links, and I went, "Well, yeah, amazing screamer!" But like like you said, it's kind of like you know a young Sebastian Bach or mm-hmm. something. You're like, wow, man, you know this dude's like screaming away, amazing range. Problem is, is like with my stuff, I'm like okay, my stuff's more like Ronnie James Dio through, like, Lou Graham or Paul Rogers, right? right. Mm-hmm. So, it takes some ability to just kind of sing, and not, none of those guys are were the high screamer type. Right. Not even Dio wasn't really a high screamer type. Yeah, power, true. Power screamer, but not really, like, a, you know, a high um, high tenor, you know, that kind of came in with Jeff Tate doing all mm-hmm. that stuff. Everybody started doing that after Jeff Tate was done. Right. right? Um, so, Anyway, I I just gave Gersh stuff and was like, you know, look, this is kind of you know the vibe, and and the, every track I got from him, I was like, wow, well, he can really do it all. He's really a chameleon. He can kind of fit the vibe of whatever the song needs. So he's kind of the the perfect guy because the music is is pretty diverse on the record. Mm-hmm. You no, know? I mean it's not like there's like. Hey, every song sounds exactly the same. It ranges from that really heavy stuff to like you know ballady kind of stuff. That even right. you know one of the ballads even has some kind of R and B type changes on this. Um, so it's it's a pretty diverse sound of record. So finding someone that can fit the bill on all that it's not easy. Right on.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on, man.
1: Yeah, uh, much appreciate
0: well, the new album again. June sixteenth. That's what we're going with. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Got to make sure to buy it yeah, June 16th. Pre-order it now. I uh, appreciate you coming on, man. It was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. So. Yeah, thank, thank you much. so much.
1: I, I appreciate you guys helping out and spreading the word, definitely. Absolutely. I, I
0: just We need more new good rock music, so keep it coming, my friend. Thank you.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I'll, I'll do, I, I'm working hard every day, brother. <laughs> all For right, sure. well, we'll, we'll right. talk to you. Thank you so much, man. All right, Joel, thanks, buddy. Cool. Uh, thanks nice. so much, guys. Thank right. you. Peace. Good
2: dude,
0: man. Good yeah. stuff. Joel holds right. He rules. Um, June sixteenth,
2: June sixteenth. Crash of
0: life. But buy it now.
2: Thirteen sixteen. Just buy it now. Don't don't waste your time waiting. You some of that uh,
0: the guy' the name you can't pronounce. Gearish, yeah, Gearish Pradhan, I it, think. You sent me some of his stuff in, uh, earlier, and yeah, it, it does rock, man. I mean, it's really good. There is some good shit out there that I didn't know about. So yeah.
2: There's, there's more and more. I was going to bring Gears in the Chronicles to the to the uh, new music moment at some point here. I figured this week we're doing live new music moment with Joel Holkstra. Yeah. Well, but, good. but yeah,
0: good stuff. Just live right. music. We're going to take a quick break, and then um, Target wants you to tuck your stuff away. And, <laughs> Fun. Uh, here's some more Joel. Hang on. I'm
3: your pain. Can I ever stitch the fabric on inside your brain? Lobster!